This podcast contains explicit language and plot spoilers. My name is Charles R. Horgan. I'm a Purple Heart veteran and a lifelong movie nerd. I've noticed recently that my relationship with the most action-y of action films, the war film, has become complicated. I'm exploring this genre with my childhood friend, Dr. Aaron Donaldson. What am I gonna do? I can't survive on my America. If the worst is true, is it just a waste of time? What am I Aaron, hi. Charles, hi. We're back. Hi. Batch three. Uh, nine movies. Nine movies. Nine that movies we've watched. now. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the most recent batch we watched seems to have like an Afghanistan-y theme to it. We're going to get to that in just mm-hmm. a second. The prior batch that we watched um, was like Strategic Air Command, Doctor Strangelove, Failsafe, yeah. and the movie Strategic Air Command. And then before that, we watched Nukes. formative movies. Formative for me, formative for you, formative for the industry. Paths of glory, glory, the big parade. Um, moving right along here with the Real War Project. Uh, individual episodes for all of these movies are back on the Patreon. If people want to listen to that, they can. I said getting into some war war movies, I feel like. Yeah. More so than the nukes. Yeah. Nukes more existential. This is more in the, we got more in the dirt I, I kind of liked some of the comparatives, and we touched on it a little bit between um, Beast or Beast of War, I guess, or Beast, <laughs> whatever the movie is called, 1988. Just a fascinating movie, that one. The, the, mm-hmm. the crew components between that one and Strategic Air Command, there was like a mm, little yeah. bit of overlap, sort of, vehicles, people in them, faraway spaces. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, yeah, this was like way more war than Batch 2, mm-hmm. in my mind. And we're going to do yes. a backward look here in just a minute. But first, we wanted to talk just about this batch and what we took away from it. What were the three movies you picked, Charles? You want to just briefly, briefly kind of describe them for folks um, that aren't following along at home? Um, hopefully, you'll have the dates of these movies I here. Do. I don't have it in front of me. I'm but ready. we started off with um, The Man Who Would Be King. 1975 is when that one happened. Yeah, Directed by John Huston. Um, this is a movie about two ex-soldiers of the Empire, two rascals who want to make, um, what they consider, uh, their due, um, by robbing another country, um, after they have sold their expertise as mercenaries. Sean Connery, Michael Caine, Christopher Plummer as Rudyard Kipling, and yes, directed by John Huston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1975. Yes. Aaron, what do you have to say about this movie very quickly? Um, I, I think this is a, an adventure film more so than a war film, but it does have a lot of war. It does have a lot of esprit de corps, I think, of uh, of military culture. I think they are, they're selling a lot of that. Um, also, I mean, you're not going to get a more dudes rock uh, squad squad pals uh, movie more so than this this is a fascinating film i find it fun despite its uh problematic um subject matter what did you think yeah um i would agree pretty much with all of that um it's it ages ages really poorly i think it definitely has a lot to say about colonialism and settler colonialism and we had a fun conversation about that in the individual episode um it uh is a really interesting look at gun culture, I thought. And that's one of the kind of takeaways that I want to riff on a little bit here as we go, is the way that all these movies frame technology and guns in particular as a kind of form of progress, but without any real morals attached to it. And the way that you described it is really well put. It's like these dudes are like on this grand adventure. They're like kind of like rascals. I thought a little bit of dirty, rotten scoundrels, except going to war. And um, yeah, the... That was kind of my big takeaway. We'll talk more about the intersections with like Afghanistan and shit like that. Mm-hmm. The gun culture in particular, I thought was interesting. I had definitely never heard of this movie before um, you had brought it to my attention, though. That was interesting. Like, you had seen it. Do you regret watching it? Do you regret spending two hours or so of your time watching it? Um, 
I you're hearing pause in my voice, and it's because <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes and no. This project is producing a lot of really interesting conversations by way of cross comparison. Right, the bigger and broader of a text mm-hmm. we have, the more comparisons we can make. And in that regard, it, it's a really interesting look for the sake of like an analyzing war film and war culture in particular. As a movie in and of itself, I was like, I wish I had that time back. <laughs> like, I really was. I. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say about uh, this Man Who Would Be King movie is that it was written by Rudyard Kipling. And like I said, there's a bunch of like fun coincidences when we pair movies. And the beginning of The Beast, which is the next movie that we're going to watch, has a Rudyard Kipling quotation. And it's a real gem. It says, um, uh, right after the Columbia Pictures logo, it says, When you're wounded and left on Afghanistan's plains... And the women come out to cut up your remains. Just roll to your rifle and blow out your brains and go to your god like a soldier. Chipper. Uh, yeah, pleasant, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really feel like the tone for the man who would be king, but definitely sets up the beast pretty well, I think. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Although man who would be king, every time they mention Afghanistan, Afghanistan always has that that aura around it of a incredibly dangerous place it's yeah. like the the british in man who would be king have a relationship with Af- afghanistan where it is not a place to be taken lightly yeah we're going to talk about the settler colonial tropes and the western tropes that you get a lot in american war movies and the nature mm-hmm. itself as enemy like the the environment itself as a kind of enemy is a really um common one there and afghanistan fits the the mark so describe the beast, Charles, 1988. Yeah, Beast of War. This is a movie about a tank crew from Russia in the second year of the Afghanistan-Russia war. They perform horrible war crimes upon a small village in order for, I don't know, I guess, retribution for something or other. It's war. Yeah. And um, they get lost from their tank column and start getting hunted by the people that rightfully want them dead. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating movie where the Russians are played by Americans with American accents <laughs> and the Afghanis are played by just a rainbow coalition of, <laughs> of people that aren't white um our our main hero um i mean its heart seems to be dang in the right place but but boy our hero is a handsome handsome cuban yeah um that's pretty well put i think um it, this movie is an intense savior story um once again, the the guns in this movie positioned as kind of amoral and ultimately the thing that stands between having and not having, doing and not doing, being and not being. Um, this movie is just super eighties. the The soundtrack was like a delicious little trip back to the mm-hmm. the time, in my opinion. We we had a good conversation about that for sure. Um, and works so well with it. Yeah, like it. The soundtrack doesn't feel like an artifact of the 80s it actually just i don't know it's it's so eerie it's we talked about how i mean it's a mark isham as montana boys this is a uh this is a big name for us mm-hmm. so yeah it's not a river runs through it but it's the same dude and um it's a really um effective really evocative soundtrack yeah this movie has a lot going on to it again like you said kind of like a, a missed hidden movie this movie didn't really hit the theaters i did not even heard of it um, and it was pretty intense. And then we went all the way forward to 2013 and we watched Lone Survivor. Charles, you want to describe this movie real quick? This is Peter Berg. This is the guy who will get to watch another one of his. This is the true story of oper- the true story in, in quotations of Operation Red Wings. Um, this is where some Navy SEALs get ambushed by by just a, a huge amount of um, Afghani soldiers. It's like 5,000 Afghanistan soldiers, I think, or like 6,000 soldiers, probably. They took on the anthill themselves. Yeah. And um, yep. Yep. they were coming and in they clouds get, and parachutes from the sky. They get into a desperate um, losing battle um, as, they, as they try to escape, and only one person survives, and that is Marcus Luttrell, played by Mark Wahlberg. And he is saved thanks to uh, Pashtunwali, which we learned all about thanks to Beast of War. 
Yeah, another just rando coincidence, right? You did not know yeah. that that was going to happen and that those things were going to line up, right? Mm-mm. Hmm. Yeah, and this movie is, I, you know, this one was one that I had definitely seen and that I had thought was pretty stupid the first time I saw it. And having watched it a second time and read the kind of associated articles that we talked about um, and everything, I think it's a really useful one for kind of understanding the 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 white settler masculinity that i'm after in this movie this is like a really good look at who the hero is and one of the things we want to do charles and we hadn't really um dinged this particular comparative at the end of this episode we want to look back um this is another based on a true story episode and i was just editing our episode on glory um, and we were talking about how many um, corners they cut when they were uh, making the movie Glory just in terms of like erasing a Medal of Honor winner and not telling us the full picture of Robert Gould Shaw and all of that. I had said, if you're going to cut corners, can you not do it through a grocery store in that episode? Um, Lone Survivor cuts some corners, too. It really does. It seems like this is like a way that America likes to tell war stories, perhaps. Does it is it cutting corners or is it deliberately making <laughs> changes to to push a narrative? When there's a bulldozer blade on the front of the car going through the grocery store, it seems far <laughs> less accidental, doesn't it? <laughs> it's all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it seems like they're prepared to do it. Okay. Um, well, just really quickly, let's talk about these movies and what's going on. And one of the first things I really want to touch on that I think, you know, we did kind of just briefly talk about at the top is how it situates exotic, dangerous, beautiful Afghanistan. All three of these movies do this in um, very different ways. Working backwards, Lone Survivor just has all sorts of lens flares, I had said. The movie just looks romantic as can be. Um, with The Beast of War, it's like, it. we said it's like, it's it's Afghanistan in reverse because it's got like Grand it's a Canyon. desolate moonscape. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then The Man Who Would Be King is kind of like a mixture of the two but in that one they're like dying in the mountains they're dying in the river in the beast of war people are in threat of dying like afghanistan itself is out to kill people that tends to be a trope here right mm-hmm. okay and, yeah and then that the second half of this in the settler colonial war story now that we have nature is the enemy is we're also going to have the enemy is nature right and so we have all of the people that live there are fairly at home fairly comfortable but not nearly as good at fighting as the people that they encounter is that true across the board it feels true for all three yeah 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 i think that there's i mean obviously the people in lone survivor this is what i had something that i had said um way back when we were going to iraq Mm -hmm. um and we were we were already finding ourselves in a quagmire kind of in afghanistan was that President Bush should have watched should have watched Man Who Would Be King <laughs> at least because you think that would have worked because it teach <laughs> I think it teaches you that you don't you don't get in there <laughs> um, there's there's a little there, I mean if you're if you're watching these movies and you're like Afghanistan man that is a landscape that is that doesn't mess around like kind of like the American West if you're talking about the Western trope right. Like, the west the people that survive that that get in the in the wagons and head west that weeds out the the weak ones yeah and and it's something that i think the characters of lone survivor constantly and and maybe beast of war as well that they constantly underestimate is that that you might look like an old man but you are an, an old man who has spent your entire life just Huffing it up and down freaking mountains at like fifteen thousand feet, <laughs> something that would make you like puke. Yeah. You know, like it's well. In, yeah. In all three of the movies, the people of Afghanistan themselves are situated again as fairly capable. In Lone Survivor, the the, the seals, the 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 much like vaulted Navy seals are like they're so fast, they're so fast. Like it's not only five thousand Afghanistans, but they run like a cheetah. Children, like they can gallop over mm-hmm. rocks. Like a mix of like a billy goat cheetah, except with like the head of um like a great white shark. That's basically what we got going on here. Um, mm-hmm. th- they're, you know, and and here you. It should have been more reassuring. As, let's hold on. To, it would have been so reassuring for that one guy if he was like, "No, they're not so fast. They've been hunting us all night, buddy." <laughs> 
No, they're just really determined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they've been up here yeah. looking for well, us. They knew so the minute we got here yeah. and they knew where we were going and they kind of met us yeah. here. So You don't you think they ran from down no. there? No, 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 no. Oh, you're not very bright, are you? <laughs> no. All night long they've been up here looking for us. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is. It's it, it's Oh, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an idiot. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, so I am in good shape still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are. So we can outrun them is what you're saying. Also, no, no, we can't do that either. Um, But it, it situates the land itself and the people in the land as something that needs to be tamed. And what is going to tame the people, Charles? Technology. Guns. Um, guns in the first one, just a couple mules full of rifles is all it's going to take in that circumstance. 20 Martini Henry <laughs> rifles. Yeah. Yep. And you will be a king in like no time. Um, and then in uh, the B3 of war, we've got the tank. We've just got this amazing, mm -hmm. what was it called? I don't have my notes for that episode. Is it? I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a T55. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yep. No, no, no. There's that. And then in Lone Survivor, it's, um, the RPG, the uh, whatever rifles it is the SEALs are using, and uh, what, the AK-47, I, I guess. I mean, they have their fan... I mean, I guess when you think about it, like, the technology, technology of of Lone Survivor straight up Right, fails. because of the environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The mountains kill the yeah. technology. It's just that vicious just out like there. Bonkers <laughs> it's like bonkers to me. It's so bonkers to me that, that they would... That you would continue on with it without <laughs> communications. Yeah. Like if you just didn't have, it's like, oh, well, we don't have comms. Okay, well, then we stop right here where we have it. Yeah, there's like a cavalry scout in the back of the SEAL room being like, so just real quick, I want to go back there. Y'all said you're not going to have comms, but you are going to go forward. We're all clear on that, right? You're doing that? Okay. Just <laughs> seems like a bad idea to me. <laughs> right. Right. That was my favorite part of that episode oh. was when we were like, what happens if a scout can't call anyone back in? Well, they just watch. <laughs> they just become lookers. <laughs> just out there looking at stuff. Like, hmm, that looks important. <laughs> I'm just a voyeur. Yeah, exactly. Just a peeping Tom. <laughs> I wouldn't use the word voyeur, but when you put it oh, like that. God. Okay. Um, <clears throat> anywho. So... So technology, guns, that's what's that's what's like taming not only the enemy, but also uh, nature. A lot of ambush tropes going on here. What were you going to say? You wanted, Yeah, I was going to say, you want to talk about Western tropes. Um, there's a shot in Lone Survivor with the, I mean, they might as well have been on horses, you know, just lining the yeah. horizon there where you see pretty much every, I mean, it was a ridiculous number of people. <laughs> there's like 25 people visible in there. Look. Eight people can be very right. deadly, especially if they know right. how to fight. That's, that's like you know, like mm -hmm. that's yeah, right. Yeah, they're just capable of fighting, and they know where you are mm -hmm. because you're not as sneaky as you want everyone to think that you are. Yeah, and and you're. I think you're doing yourself a disservice <laughs> if you perpetuate the idea that um that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to say. about There this really is. And, like we can go we on said and on quite a bit about God it. Damn it. And um the. Uh, other thing that we see kind of cutting across all of these movies is this. Um, we had a couple of themes that I pulled out. The first theme was like primitive primitivism and technology, and we're already kind of touching on that. The second one that I think is interesting is mm -hmm. like this notion of desperation, where like isolation and risk that we're talking about is both an opportunity, but also like a mortal risk. Like, I don't know how this fits for the beast. I don't know why they're out there. I don't know what the opportunity is or what the whole point is. But definitely Man Who Would Be King and definitely in Lone Survivor, they're going to these extremes because the get is so high. In one case, it's like you're going to be a king. In another case, it's this terrorist that is apparently killing like 50 Marines a month and there's just like nothing anyone can do about it. <laughs> but the point is we go to these extremes not for nothing, but because there's so much to be gained. And you get that in settler colonial narratives a lot. The reason we break ourselves on the mountain and have to wipe out a village full of people is because there's gold in the hills or whatever it is that we're chasing out there. Mm hmm. It's interesting that you that you say that 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 beast doesn't um doesn't fit in there. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. And that's one of those weird things where where that movie does stand out out of these three as 
an anti-war film. Of all the ones that speak to Afghanistan a, today, uh, right before we hit record, you're like, I want to talk mm-hmm. about what it's like watching these movies with Afghanistan basically going straight back to the Taliban now that the United States has withdrawn. That one does a great yeah. job. That dude standing in the road saying, Afghanistan. Like yes, pay attention, all future generations. This man's face, the way he said it, that is the lesson. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and where it's like, oh, we're the bad guys. You know, the the beast is does such a fascinating thing where where the bad guys are played by American Mm -hmm. actors, you know, like where you know it could just be an American tank crew. And this is a movie from the late 80s that didn't know that we were going to go to <laughs> Afghanistan. <Oops. laughs> you know. See also Rambo 3. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strangely a, a, ahead of its time and um and it didn't it didn't mean to. You know, it's it's so it's yeah. so bizarre. A uh, lone survivor, you know, lone survivor is is something that's perpetuating this I think the military's agenda, which is to make you think, ah, if we only we had more. See, we had four guys here, and let's look how many freaking freaking yep. guys they waxed on that the like side of that mountain. If we only yeah. had eight guys, <laughs> and could you be one of them? And they point to the audience, <laughs> and and every twelve year old boy in the audience just nods enthusiastically <laughs> because they mm-hmm. play Call of Duty. Hell yeah. And, uh, door kickers is that the game (laughs) yes yeah so uh, yeah it's a beast of war is specifically you know like like look at glory you know glory was saying that that you can that there's something to be gained from the war i don't think beast of war says anything Mm -hmm. like that it says that that it turns you into a monster it's like even the guy who was fighting the nazis from the beginning who completely i all of his identity is built around this trauma as a child where he was like forced to fight and kill Nazis as a young boy. Um, and then he's become the Nazi in all three movies. Being a real soldier is the difference. Mm. All three movies being a real soldier, meaning a European soldier, uh, like a, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the hero of the movie kind of soldier, I suppose I should say. Um, is 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 what drives the plot and, and and changes things in beast that hero is they go on a bigger journey like a broader arc but they leave like the biggest hero in any movie we've ever seen like that <laughs> if i ever leave any if i ever quit a job that's how i want to leave yeah you want to know how to quit a job watch the beast and just you know the, the last like two minutes or so of that movie is your exit <laughs> It, it was so good, you know, because in a lot of these movies, what they're saying, part of what they're saying, among many other things, um, is is that the technology only gets you so mm-hmm. far. Um, you know, eventually in Man Who Would Be King, you're overwhelmed. Like your Martini Henry only gets you, only wows people so much. Until you get bit be- by Before a they're woman just you're determined to, marry to get. And you bleed like mm-hmm. a god's and, not supposed to. And everybody decides. Right, and then everybody decides that they've had enough of your shit. Um, no, no, we knew you weren't a god. We, um, just up until now, we were okay with it, but now it's a little too far. Now you've gone a little too far. It's weird when you're trying to just marry people. No, you can have all this stuff. The gold? Yeah, we don't really It's care about been that. in here for uh, 2,000 years. Yeah, I don't okay. need it. I was going to say something in regards to uh, to Beast of War. Oh, well, I was going to say his... That movie, as much as it is also saying... Um, that that you know the tank eventually does get overwhelmed like the tank eventually, eventually being the operative word like they take forever to kill this tank <laughs> right there's a reason why why tank nuts really love this movie because they get to see a tank just push yeah. to its limits someone's drinking the brake fluid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's actually drinking the brake fluid but the the arc the one of the interesting arcs in um in beast is that it does come down to two different soldiers mm-hmm. like two different types of soldier mm-hmm. and one of them is is unquestioning and embraces the cruelty and one of them has to decide finally to reject it and it takes him a while to to do it but he 
he finally reaches his his breaking point and and not only rejects it but also seeks revenge against it. I think that's pretty fascinating. We're gonna see it again. I feel like in Platoon. You never saw? Did you ever see? Yeah, Platoon? I've seen Platoon. Yeah, you know it's okay. Yeah, so they like it's we're. I mean, eventually we're gonna come around to it, but that's that should be something that we look out for, where it's the struggle between two types of soldier the bad one the tom berenger and platoon and the uh and the will right. of the foe well the redemptive soldier is definitely something i'm interested in um the last kind of thematic takeaway from these three is um uh th- the way that it kind of positions the individual with regards to the group and in each case it tends to be like groups cannot be trusted rich people and elites can't be trusted but individuals definitely can be trusted or the individual is going to be the hero. Um, and you see this in weird versions across them, but um, I think Lone Survivor is one of the most interesting where it kind of seems to be about the group and it seems to be about the brotherhood of the unit. But the article that we read um, that I don't have in front of me, and I really should, um, but uh, they, they talk about how multiple parts of that movie ultimately do focus on the lone of the lone survivor and like he has no backstory has no history there's all this other stuff going on there um that puts the kind of grand cap on our takeaway from these movies about afghanistan in my opinion is that they're all just kind of more settler war porn and that it's like this this one lone dude who's out there at great risk to self and others to achieve something that no one else can achieve or that was probably thought to be impossible. I'm going to break his body in every single way possible. Going to get betrayed a few times, have to break a few promises, may have to mangle a guy with a tank, just run over his foot, do a couple other stuff like that. Um, But ultimately, they're going to be the ones that take the shot that kill the bad guy that, that kind of saved the day. Now, the man who would be king, he falls off a bridge. <laughs> so it's like, I get it. This is not an easy, easy fit. But in each movie, they situate the individual, the individual who's prepared to be a soldier and prepared to do violence, prepared to drown in the river and die on the mountainside. Um, and I keep saying, I keep coming back to it. This is who America wants us to be. This is who America wants to be. The ultimate settler soldier is like, that's who they want us to be. And I'm just seeing them in weird ways across all three movies. That's kind of my takeaway from the three before we look back. Man who would be king could be called Lone Survivor. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Yeah, and Charles also sent me the shot at the end of Rambo 3 that's dedicated to the brave soldiers of the Mujahideen after we watched Lone Survivor. He's like, you should put this at the end of that movie. This is what knowing Charles does. When you watch movies, they you get these little nuggets. <laughs> no, but for real, it could. And I think that that's, it, it's a weird fit. <laughs> like, Lone Survivor, Man Who Would Be King as Lone Survivor, they they share a lot in terms of the priority of the individual and the power of the individual man and um, the grandeur that they're capable of and the lengths to which they will go to those to achieve that greatness. They are all like ultimately a victim in their own way. But the adventure is so romantic that it's like, oh, man, this is just a really fun comparison. It's not a clear fit, but they're very sympathetic movies. For sure. You could have Marcus Luttrell, a broken down man carrying around the head of oh, Mike dear. Murphy in his hate mail for that. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, um... I'm going to get hate mail. I'm just saying, <laughs> oh, it's like, this is what I said. Look, this is what I said in. Because people don't like it when you talk bad about war and soldiers. This is this is what I will say is that there is an interview with with Marcus Luttrell, with Anderson Cooper, and he describes listening to his friend die. And that is a horror. Like, if we're talking about war as a horror movie, that is a horror movie moment. And there is no reason he should have ever experienced that. As a, as somebody who is anti-war and trying to be a pacifist and everything like that, um, you know, war is nothing but poor people killing poor people. And, and the true tragedy is that he was sent there for bad reasons and that he had to listen to his fucking best friend effing die and now here in 2021 afghanistan has wound up exactly as man who would be yeah. king has predicted it yeah and be yeah. priest yeah it, it, they mm-hmm. i mean you can't say they accomplished nothing because there were some times there where things changed in some places but more and more and more is coming out 
revealing more and more emphatically that it was all very much like Vietnam, just lying to the American public about the accomplishments, wasting tremendous amounts of money on military industrial interests, and very little on the actual people fighting the conflict, just chewing them up and spitting them out. Um, that in Lone Survivor and in Man Who Would Be King, they're like, we went to get it, and this is what we brought back. And I'm like, well, congratulations, you got what you wanted. Like Lone Survivor, they're like, we. It right. literally yep, opens exactly. with him on a stretcher saying, we wanted the loudest fight possible. And I'm like, am I supposed to feel sorry for this guy? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you. Yeah, no, that is, it is true. It's like, you shouldn't, if you wanted my sympathy, then you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't, parenthesis, that shouldn't be the, the bookend on it, I guess, because then you did, I guess, your arc is that you got exactly then what you wanted. Exactly right. At the, and you sacrifice, you're a King Midas of sorts. And all those dudes that you love so much that you go so far with and do, yeah, they're all dead on that mountain because you all went and got what you were looking for. So if they do matter, maybe just kind of reconsider some of your priorities. So let's look back at our batches. Um, the last batch was planes flying, dropping, um, 40 megaton nukes, Dr. Strange Love, 1964, fail safe, 1964, strategic air command, 1955. We have some Beast of War stuff in there. We have we have crews working together in creative ways to uh, to operate a machine mm-hmm. of death. We don't really have people running through. I mean, in the in the nuke era, it seems that the people running through the mountains shooting RPGs at you are entirely imagined. <laughs> um, or it is your own general <laughs> trying trying yeah. to give you a hard time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, you do have that, and there is another movie there. A strategic Air Command out of the, out of those three, um, is a DoD funded mm-hmm. movie. You know, it is a it is a movie that has its fingerprints on there, similar to Lone Survivor. I feel Survivor. like Lone Survivor for sure, Strategic Air Command for sure, and then in our episode on Glory, we're mm-hmm. like, if the military wasn't funding this, they absolutely would have. Like, they would have just been all over it because it's. I mean, it that one feels like propaganda, right? And you said you wanted to go, yeah. Glory. Like it, it glorifies yeah. war, we said. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not saying it's a bad, that's one of, that's one of the mm-hmm. crappy things about it. Propaganda is delicious. That's why it works so well. So it's like. Mm-hmm. Lone Survivor is yeah. very well made. Well, they both look incredible. Yeah. Like, they're both very romantic, mm-hmm. I would say. They're both in- Fucking Ben Foster's really yeah. good in that movie. The cast like, he's both, I think, is pretty solid. Like, what are the fingerprints of the DoD? Yeah. You said you wanted to go looking for what you thought were like the fingerprints of the movies that the DoD is going to get behind and the ones they won't. Well, it's interesting. Like, so let's say the changes of of in in Lone Survivor. You know, like it's yeah. weird ones. There's weird ones. Like, like at the end of Lone Survivor, the the guy who saved Marcus Luttrell got to ride with him in the helicopter to the thing. And then in the movie, they, he gets they're they're like the crew chief is like, Hey, no, sorry, you got to leave. Stay behind. Why would you change that? Is it? And, and I wondered, I wondered on the episode, is that specifically? So in case Afghanis see it, they don't think that they will, that that's their ticket out of there because we saw how Afghanistan, we saw how Afghanistan ended. If that guy wanted to go, he gets yeah. to cling to the outside of the fucking helicopter and, the and fall down. For Americans is that they should not want to go; that they should stay, or because they got to stay and fight their own fight because that's what he does. That's what it says at the end. They're still there, living in those harsh mountains, fighting the fight. Weird thing to change. Yeah, um, but effective. It's like, weird things to change, and and you know the inflation of the numbers of the soldiers. You know, it's like. At one one part, it's the myth building that they're trying to do. You know, they're they're trying to make it look like the only way that four Navy SEALs could be defeated is if they were being attacked by 150, you know, trained Chechens. It was like 90,000 Afghanistan the Special in, Forces, I'm pretty sure. Like 98,000 with like 6,000 in reserve. I was shocked because the movie got so lazy that it just started using Starship <laughs> Troopers footage. <laughs> And it was like, so I was like, oh my God, that's headshots. so weird. I counted like 25, 26, 28. And I, I asked you, was there ever an official count of how many people that they killed? And you're like, it might be zero. It might be zero. They may not have killed yeah. anyone at all because it's possible seven people were after them. They definitely didn't kill 28 people unless the Taliban regenerate, we say. Yeah. Kind of like our SEALs do in the movie. They can take 12 shots and keep fighting. 
That's the only explanation we had. So it's like, but you do you do that a dis, you do a disservice in yes. building this myth because then you you're not respecting the enemy. This is the Walter Metz thing about about true lies bringing us mm-hmm. to nine eleven. The enemy is there for laughs, and the woman who is there for for comic relief is is cannot be shot by the trained bad guys, and then she drops a gun down the stairs yep. and it kills a bunch of people. You know. And so, and so it's like that same mentality in some way to, to lone survivor. And, and the reality is that if you have two guys in an elevated position on you, shooting down on you with effing machine guns and a bunch of other dudes, I mean, not even a lot maneuvering around you, taking mm-hmm. pot shots at you and you're stuck mm-hmm. in a freaking gulch, then then you're yeah. boned man like it's no. like it doesn't matter like you there's only so much you can do and that is the reality of it and so it should always if you can't fly out of there then yeah you're in a tight spot mm-hmm. right if you the that's the that's the strength of the navy seal and the and the green well maybe less so the green beret but the for a lot of those those guys, one of the the things that makes them so strong is that they have that support yeah. just to call away. You know, so much of of contact for for modern military operations is that you make that contact and then you right. call in the support. It's like a combined right. arms, you know, operation. So that means air support and stuff like that. And so if you can't call that air support or whatever, then you're just yep. four dudes in a gully getting shot at by by seven guys who have a better position on you and live mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and all week long have been looking for you mm-hmm. and have just been getting familiar with the paintball field. And that movie would be interesting. They could tell it like that. And like, like you said, there are dramatic and painful and tragic and heroic moments that happen. And that's what they changed. And we had a conversation about glory too, where they erased someone who won the medal of honor. Someone who took shots, picking up a flag, gets back to the line. Not nah, in the movie, they put him in the hole. They kill that guy. And the question is, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. Like, why would you? Unless the message is like that you have to make that sacrifice, right? Like, the only way to read it is that there's this nefarious America behind the scenes. The spooky patriotic music that plays everywhere the American flag goes, Charles and I mm-hmm. think, that is just telling you that this is what is right. That you end up in the hole, the Afghanistanis stay in Afghanistan, you get it? Like, this is, this, it's, for propaganda, these are weird choices. You leave your, you leave your, your life behind because we might get in a nuke war? That's strategic air command, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you sacrifice your body still, you know, like his body gets broken as a pilot doing it, and he's like, sacrifice his frickin' baseball career. He is the most sullen of all of the heroes, and he goes through the least. <laughs> like, literally, all he does is sit in a chair in the sky, and he's sad about it because he's playing baseball. Meanwhile, Lone Survivor and Glory, they're like, booyah. <laughs> like, we're going over the top. It's it's a weird, weird, like, like um, um, tapestry of choices between these three movies in terms of so, how happy they make everything. But Glory, but Glory is not a DoD movie, as far as I know. I don't, but I don't what know we that it do is, know, right? Yeah, but what we do know is that is that big parade starts with a big old thank you to the military <laughs> yes, for, for helping him out. So how is yeah. Big Parade similar to, to Lone Survivor and Strategic Air Command? My immediate reaction, just functionally based on why they're thanking them, is scale. Mm-hmm. It's scale. And it is about visualizing the spectacle and about just how impossible and expensive that is. And we made fun of Stanley Kubrick uh, for not having the ability to do this and thus making what we said were Roadrunner cartoons. Um, And Failsafe, they admit, they show you the same plane taken off three times, just zooming in. You know, um, it's that. That's, I mean, to me, it's like the military has, and the Omira book that I reference pretty much every episode says that that one of their primary criteria is that they need to look bigger, badder, and more capable than everybody. And so if your movie is called The Big Parade, and it's going to have a bunch of overhead shots of lots of pieces in motion, as long as our hero Johnny Appleseed is sufficiently heroic, they're good, probably. Hmm. Makes sense? What do you think? No, it definitely does. It's... Like, I just, I wonder what, for the combat of Big Parade, 
I mean, is Big Parade recruiting us? Did you feel like it was recruiting us? It showed him get recruited, but was it saying that, did it feel like it was recruiting you the way that Strategic Air Command no. and Lone Survivor kind no. of was the saying? The director said no. that they wanted, uh, Vidor said they wanted Big Parade to seem like a, or to be an, an anti-war movie. It wasn't explicitly so, but they wanted it to seem that way. It makes it seem like an adventure. And it makes it seem like something that you get to live through, come back, get the girl, albeit with one leg and, you know, a sullen face. That movie and is... you don't get along with your family anymore, for right, sure. Right. If you were If you were apprehensive about your family before the war... <laughs> Which, you're by gonna, the way, uh, no. were. <laughs> <laughs> so, not a lot of change there. Um, that's an interesting question, because I feel like the big parade, if I had seen that at the right time, it probably kind of like Glory would have scared me, but also motivated me. And, and would have mm. seemed kind of romantic, romantic enough for me to want to, like, try such a thing. I don't know. It's a very interesting example. It's worth Do noting, have... too, that as we look mm -hmm. at these movies, Paths of Glory, Doctor Strange Love, Fail Safe, um, these are all the movies that I would say are fairly explicitly anti-war so far, and they've all bombed. <laughs> like, absolutely bombed at the box office. Meanwhile, all these other movies we're talking about are, like, award-winning and, you know, making their money back. And Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. My, my other thing was going to be, like, does that scale and spectacle trump the... Um, does that override the substance of the movie? Because I feel like Failsafe and Strange Love and and Paths of Glory, and I was like, I just feel like that substance is so good. Those are all movies I love to come back to. Paths and of Beast incredible. of War potentially also, you know. Yeah. But but apparently they fail compared to I mean Bridge on the River Kwai, you know, same year as as Paths of Glory. It's in color, it's got William Holden, it's yeah. got Obi-Wan in it, you know, it's like that's the I, movie that everybody kind of... I mean, they know Paths of Glory, obviously, because of Stanley Kubrick, you know, but it's it didn't succeed the way the other one does. I, sh I should have given Kubrick more credit. I said Paths of Glory is so pretty that it ultimately does kind of work like an adventure war movie, but, but choosing to make it in black and white was a choice, and, and mm -hmm. that strips a lot of the romance out of that spectacle and makes yeah. it seem a lot drier and drabber by comparison. Um, I, I really do. I I was thinking about this the other day and I was like texting you. I was like, what are the movies that demonize the military that Mark Wahlberg is so sad about? You always hear all these people being like, I'm so sick of Hollywood and how much they hate the military. So it's finally time someone told a good story where the soldiers were the good guys. It's about time. I feel like I've heard that a lot, but I couldn't think of the movies. Obviously, like Apocalypse Now. OK, fine. Um, uh, The Full Metal Jacket. Sure. OK. And then Kate was like the men who stare at goats. And and I was like, yeah, that that counts, I guess, because it's silly. I don't know, <laughs> like, but yeah, like, like the way that they phrase it makes it sound like every movie every year that wins like the Academy it's pervasive. Award. Yeah, but it is not. It is literally exactly the opposite. Is what we are seeing. Americans love a fucking war movie. We want to romanticize it. We want it to look good. It can be scary. It can be grim. It can be tragic. We can feel bad about how terrible our troops are, as long as one of them's got a heart of gold at the end or some lesson is learned, we pay for that. And you can have the best filmmaker, one of the best filmmakers ever, Stanley Kubrick, make a movie that stands up to like expectation in terms of what a war movie would look like. It looks like a good World War I movie. And it will turn you on your head at the end. That movie ends in a way that you just cannot anticipate. The path to glory mm -hmm. is not what you expect. <laughs> and, it's like, and then they just hit you with that happy-ass uh, music right there at the end. <laughs> want us to move back to the front immediately. I'll give the men a few minutes more, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Like, how do you like that? There's your victory, dickhead. <laughs> like, it's so cynical. And then it's like, he's, it's like with Strange Love, he's like, did you guys not get it? Here! Yeah. <laughs> In each case, people will say these are masterfully made or whatever, but they just bombed. They totally bombed. Paths of Glory, we, we found IMDb says it made like $6,000 or some crazy thing. It it's can't like, be right. No, no, but that is what it says. And it is so wild because it's like, that's the risk. 
And that says a lot about what America wants. That says a lot again. Like about you don't want to get bummed out that that the that all of your neighbors died for no reason. I guess right. right? Like is that it? Like right. All of our wars. Well, again, the book says all of our wars have to ultimately be vindicated. If they're not vindicated by the cause of the war, then the soldier will vindicate the war. If the soldiers can't vindicate the war, then the cause of the war will vindicate the war. There's going to be some way that it was worth the fight, no matter what. And if you turn on that, there's very little room. And they, the, the story that you hear, I think, is the actual news. Top military commanders were questioned by lawmakers again Wednesday on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. General Kenneth McKenzie, head of U.S. Central Command, said they were aware within just hours that the August 29th U.S. drone strike in Kabul had hit civilians and knew a few days later the target was a mistake. But it took the Pentagon weeks to admit this after initially asserting the strike prevented an imminent threat by ISIS. K fighters. Investigations quickly revealed the victims were instead an aid worker named Zamari Ahmadi and his family members, including seven children. Ahmadi's boss at the California. That's what they're talking about, is what we're getting is news story after news story after news story. At the time of Lone Survivor, it's Abu Ghraib. During his first four days in Abu Ghraib, Haj Ali says he was deprived of food and water, beaten, and sexually assaulted with a rifle. But he says the worst thing that happened was the psychological torture at the end of those four days. And all these other things where we are torturing people. Um, I just learned about capture and kill programs where there's like thousands of them in a month in Afghanistan. Middle of the night, just people helicoptering into your neighborhood and abducting people out of their homes. If these stories make us feel bad about our military and they are the news, that's allowed yeah that should be what happens and we don't need lone survivor to like reset the scale like i just mm. no 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 it sucks to be a soldier to be a young person who who joins the military because honestly you think you're going to be helping people that it's the honorable thing to do that you know you're you're imagining waving dutch people as you ride by on a tank and through their liberated town or something that's what you're imagining but in reality it's it's your good intentions are wielded for evil reasons by people who would never personally get their hands dirty and it's a waste of your of your life it is a waste of your youth and and it, you are robbed of of the things of value it will rob you of your honor because you are you are made to do things that are dishonorable in the pursuit of war. Yeah. True about yeah. literally every every single movie on this list so far. And my guess this mm -hmm. will be a pretty robust finding. Charles, what is next? We are three batches in. We're doing three movies per batch. They're all centered on a theme. You're the one taking us through. You're not giving away the theme early. You're just telling us the movies one at a time. So what mm -hmm. are we watching next? Um, we're going to go to a movie I've never seen before. Um, I'm going to encourage you not to read anything about it until Done. we... Uh, um, this is going to be a movie called The Dam Busters. Um, I'm very excited about this. Let me look it up real quick here. Looks like another movie from 1955. I just watched a documentary about this. So One hour this and is about... 45 minutes long. That's a little longer than I would like. But there it is. Okay. <laughs> What's it about, Charles? Um, this is about, um, this is about these, uh, I just saw, watch a documentary about it. This is a, um, operation to destroy, uh, dams in Germany, I guess. And the technology, apparently, of the way that they bounced these barrels over the ground so that they would hit the dams is kind of a lost technology. It was like something only because, why do you need it? Obviously, it's only developed for this one mission. And um, and all of like the the weird science behind it has sort of been lost. So people have been trying to figure out how it was done. But it's a famous old mission, and uh, and enjoy watching it. Hopefully, right. hopefully we will enjoy watching it. It'll be cool to see another movie from 1955, right? Like this is the same year the Strategic uh -huh. Air Command came out. Um, that one had oh, yeah. um, Jimmy Stewart in it. You know, so he was busy. They couldn't get him. This is what they got. I don't know that he would have fit for this movie. 
it, you know, we can't look at all the movies that came out that year. Obviously, we're never going to be able to do that. But when you can get one or two movies that came out the same year, it's kind of fun to imagine what it would be like to be a movie going public. We did that. I mean, the best example of this by far is to watch Doctor Strange Love and then turn around and watch Fail Safe um, because mm-hmm. it just takes you for a ride. So at it's the very delight. least, that's going to be really, really fascinating. All right. The okay. Damn Busters. That's next. Thanks, Charles. The Looking Damn forward, Busters. Man. Those Damn Busters. Talk to you next time. Bye. See ya. waving Dutch people as you ride by on a tank and through their liberated town or something. That's what you're imagining. But in reality, your good intentions are wielded for evil reasons by people who would never personally get their hands dirty. And it's a waste of your of your life. It is a waste of your youth. And it, you are robbed of of the things of value. It will rob you of your honor because you are you are made to do things that are dishonorable in the pursuit of war. Yeah. Yeah. Redwood Soundwave. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones, too, in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.